0: A couple of weeks ago, I predicted how COVID-19 would change what readers are reading, and it turned out to be an incredibly popular episode, and interestingly, also the first episode ever to get a one-star review on podchaser.com. As Jim always says, love me, hate me, don't ignore me, and people had very strong opinions about that episode. Well, now we have some stats, we have some early numbers from the Kindle market, and boy howdy, some of my predictions have been vindicated, and some we still need to wait. Time will tell on the rest of them, but we're going to go over those numbers today in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the CEO of Author Media, Thomas Umstead, Jr., and our guest today is the CEO and founder of Klytics.com, a leading Kindle market research resource for authors and publishers, and he's got the hard data on the Kindle market. Uh, we bring him in every time we want to talk about the numbers, and we had him in just a few months ago, but since then, everything has changed, or almost everything. Some things have not changed, and we'll talk about that today. Alex Newton, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Hello, everybody. Hi, Thomas. Great to be back. Well, who would have thought I'll be back so soon?
0: Yeah, we made a big talk three months ago about, oh, we'll have you back in a year. The numbers should be, you know, there should be something interesting in the numbers by then, and there's already quite a few things Interesting in the numbers. And the first thing I want to talk about this, and I realize this is a little bit outside of your kind of wheelhouse because I know you're K-lytics and you do uh, Kindle sales, but talk briefly about what you've observed in kind of traditional print sales and retail sales. What's been the impact of the pandemic on print books?
1: Well, I mean, as we all know, the, the the whole thing started with everybody being locked into their homes including the whole, you know, production capacity of nations. So, the first thing that happened to everybody was the big shock and uncertainty that led to the dive in retail consumption and uh, the worst week I think was last week of March where the US retail consumption had dropped by 31% and that happened basically within Three weeks, if you will, you know, it went all down. The good news and the bad news was already in April, uh, you know, after Easter, April 4, the week of April 11, um, uh, things were still hugely down compared to the prior year, down 20%, down 15%. Um, but you could already see things starting back up. But the fact of the matter is that with that happening to retail, we saw the print uh book retail sales at the association numbers that were reported you know while january was still like 4 or 5% up versus 2019 february was already in the negative and march was a 7% decrease over prior year which if you look at the sheer size of the impact on, on overall retail We were surprised to see only minus 7%. So I I guess April is even going to be worse for print. But that's basically the first starting point that happened in print sales taking this huge dive all across the board. The rule of thumb with
0: traditional publishers is that half of their sales happen on non- Amazon platforms. Now, obviously, every publisher, those numbers are a little bit different. But if you go to industry associations, that's kind of the the rule of thumb. And a big chunk of the non-Amazon sales are offline sales of print books. And those were killed. (laughs) So I guess you could still buy a book at Walmart or Target if your book was fortunate enough to be in their very small selection of books, at least in some states. Some states would rope off sections of the store or threatened to rope off sections of the store that didn't have to do with groceries. And and so the traditional publishers and the print publishers really have gotten hammered uh, during this time. But the question is, and the the question we're all wondering is, did people just switch from watching books to watching YouTube? Or did they switch from uh, reading print books to reading ebooks? Did we see a corresponding boom in ebook sales uh, to match the collapse of print book
1: sales? And and to a certain extent, we certainly did. And in fact, there were like two um, sales increases. The one were for online book sales in general, which can be either print or e-books, right? So if you talk to the big, you know... Online retail market research agencies such as Rakuten Intelligence. I mean, they saw online book sales, you know, grow big time, and also Amazon did see that increase. Although they, we all know they de-prior- deprioritized quite a bit of the shipments. So with also shipments being, you know, delayed or other things prioritized, people did shift to eBooks. And the, and the most striking thing is was not even happening on directly on the Amazon platform. What I found was. Within the week of March 8th and March March 22nd, so basically within those two points, the search volume on Google for the very term eBooks doubled within, you know, within that extremely short period of time and, you know, stayed up there pretty much. And what I would
0: say this means is think about the kind of person who's going to do a Google search for the word eBook. This is somebody who is new to ebooks, right? Somebody who owns a Kindle is not as likely to make a Google search for the word ebook as somebody who's heard about ebooks. And now that they can't go to Barnes and Noble, they're like, I need to get into ebooks. <laughs> I'm bored. I need a book to read. And so they're going to Google and they're typing in the word ebook, uh, getting into. Potentially, not that all of them are buying a Kindle, but I imagine Kindle uh, sales are way up, and more people are reading ebooks, not just the people who read ebooks are reading more ebooks
1: right and we saw that interest basically translate into two things: the one was the increase in Obvious increase in device sales where if you went to the Amazon electronics bestseller list where, you know, at the very top you had the Amazon Echoes and, you know, the, the fire sticks and all you need to, to watch television and watch Netflix. And then the next tier of stuff was directly the the kindle devices you know kindle fire for the kids for, for whatever you need for the homeschooling that sort of thing and then you, once you have the device you obviously want to have st- stuff on the device and that's when we basically saw this pretty significant increase in some of the genres at least um for for ebooks obviously every Uh, every author, every sub-sub genre is going to be affected differently. But there were some very, very measurable and immediate effects. Yeah, and and
0: just one more thing on this device penetration, because I think this is really important. Uh, A lot of schools switch to using Zoom uh, for their classes. And you can get a Kindle Fire for $40, and it can run Zoom. So if you need to put a screen in the hands of your three children – uh, the cheapest way to do that is with a Kindle Fire device. You're not going to get another tablet that runs Zoom at that same price point and same quality point. Partly because Amazon puts the ads in and they subsidize uh, the cost of that product. So, just imagine, you know, ten potentially tens of thousands of parents going out and buying their child their very first ever tablet, which just happened to be a Kindle tablet, because uh, that's what they could afford. And now suddenly they have a device that makes it very easy for them. Uh, to buy a book. So let's jump into the genres. And the first one I get, we need to talk about is children's. Actually, before we get to children's, talk a little bit more about um, sales. Like what have you seen with K- uh, KU? Are, are there more people using Kindle Unlimited?
1: Yeah, a, n- a number of things happened. I, I mean, Kindle Unlimited uh, related books have have had a steady increase all the time, right? So there we didn't even see like big spikes, but the the one thing which is, yeah which should be noted is amazon just published its quarter one results and in q1 the subscription related revenue which is by the way way b- it's not just kindle they don't report it separately but subscription related stuff so anything related to television prime you name it uh, grew to 5.6 billion and which was a year over year uh another quarter of growth so no impact by corona whatsoever other than positive right so with that we then saw on kindle we saw certain subcategories suddenly take really unprecedented increases in sales and and overall by the way the payout that was um, just paid to Kindle Select authors. So basically authors who are exclusive with Kindle Unlimited. The March number was, uh, if I recollect collect, uh, correctly, $29 million paid in royalty. And that twenty-nine $29 million in March was, well, who would have thought that, was the highest ever Kindle Select Global Fund payout ever. It was the highest monthly increase ever recorded because it was like a 6.6% increase versus prior month. So in long story short, it, for Kindle Unlimited, it was the best month ever. So let's underline that. Best
0: month ever for Kindle Unlimited. So while the news is bleak on a lot of topics, if you're an indie author who's making your money with Kindle Unlimited, the amount of money coming in to Kindle Unlimited overall was more than it's ever been before. Now that doesn't mean that every author in Kindle Unlimited saw their revenue go up, right? If you have a travel book to Italy and that was your Kindle Unlimited book, probably was not a good month for you. Uh, and so let's let's walk through kind of specific winners and and losers. What are some of the biggest winners and losers that you've seen?
1: yeah, and and that works a little bit over the weeks, you know? Um, in the initial stage of the lockdown, what was interesting to see that uh, what I'd call immediate survival interest sells. so book categories that usually would be in complete ob- oblivion, you know, not selling a copy a day, for example, medical ebooks Slash internal medicine slash infectious disease, you know, uh, which is usually residing around seventy thousand on the uh, on average on the store is suddenly you know up eighty two percent and is in the top ten thousand. Same on the category for physical ail- respiratory ailments. So suddenly they they shoot up. What I then found interesting: the next phase, like one or two weeks later, uh, we know in, from the news everybody had difficulties getting face masks right from suppliers or medical equipment at large. So all of a sudden a category which is like a non-existent category on Kindle, nonfiction medical ebooks, reference books, instruments and supplies, you know, shoot up from sales rank five hundred thousand all the way up, you know, into the into the top seventy thousand or so. So that is the immediate stuff that happened. And then the next it's almost like a cascade that happened. Then the next Level in the cascade was now that everybody, you know, immediate survival is satisfied and you have to keep your kids busy. The first thing was obviously the homeschooling. So we saw suddenly a 50% sales rank improvement in the whole category for teacher resources in homeschooling.
0: As I foretold in my episode. Oh, did you? (laughs) (laughs) I predicted it. I said homeschooling, and you can go back and check me. I said homeschooling is going to be hot, and homeschooling is going to stay hot, because some parents are going to, who were on the fence, continue to homeschool even when the pandemic has passed.
1: Yeah, I mean, the average sales rank of that, you know, sub, 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 sub category is currently between 30 and 20,000. So you're not going to get rich. You're still going to do fair better by publishing the romance novels you've always published. But just to illustrate... That the market is responsive to demand, and demand is changing by external factors. And you mentioned that example of of travel books. Well, guess what? We're tracking the category travel, Europe, Italy, Florence, and usually around Easter time when springtime is over, you have a, a peak in that category. Well, guess what? Um, it took a, you should see the graph. I have it in front of me. The, the dive that it took, it, it dove from, you know, whatever the number here was, it, it dove by 150% and is now down to sales rank 400,000 on average for the top 20 Florence travel guides, which basically means nobody is buying a single unit of these types of books, right?
0: And we saw this after September 11th in uh, the United States, from what I understand, travel TV shows were really popular in the 90s. You know, People would travel and they'd take a camera and there was lots of travel TV shows and travel-related uh, reality shows, even though reality hadn't really taken off yet as a genre. And then after September 11th, the shows that became very popular were Home Improvement. People were staying home and they were improving their houses. And there's like a whole channel now on cable uh, TV in the States that's nothing but people taking sledgehammers through their houses and building something new. It's just one show after
1: another in this genre. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more because that's what you describe is then exactly the next level that that is happening. After, you know, after immediate survival, the homeschooling, you then people had to fight the lockdown blues, right? So so what we then found was exactly what you described. The next level was all of a sudden we have here books, gardening and horticulture, vegetables, you know, go up. Um, we, we saw a big rise and then, you know, others, people who who believe in God and Christ, you know, all of a sudden we see, The sales for Christian books and Bibles, ministry, evangelism, sermons, you know, shoot up the roof as a category, or others who are, you know, more secular. In their thinking, we have a significant rise then by the end of April here for books about motivation and self-improvement. So that's the next level as people were at home and getting bored. You know, they'd either say, you know, what does God tell me or can I improve myself or can I at least keep myself and the kids busy doing something physical in the garden Or, or whatever you have in the crafts, hobbies and home area.
0: Have you seen an increase in weight loss books
1: yet? Well, that was actually an interesting one because that the whole fitness and health category was first actually taking a dive. So uh, which is understandable because, you know, once you are locked in at home and if you have a family i mean you you, and you have barely whatever how many square feet of of living area at home you are not worried about uh, you know health and fitness so we saw actually a decline in fitness health dieting books in march and april but now in april they've uh, come come back up again And another one, by the way, just to continue on that line, was what I found super interesting is all these psychology books about parenting and relationships and that sort of stuff, they took a dive. And I found this so interesting because, you know, when reality hits, you don't have to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't have the time as a parent to, to read books theorizing about, you know, what's the best approach to, you know, parenting. And so that was funny. So actually the books that were immediately concerned theorizing they didn't sell. I think that's actually a really good point is
0: that in crisis, people are looking for more practical instruction rather than a lot of theory, right? They need – when you're, when your children are now around you 24 hours a day – you need things that work and that you can put into practice right away. Not like big picture stuff or somebody's weird theories about how evolution causes their children to evolve or whatever. It's like – whether or not that's true or not, how is that helpful, (laughs) right? Or it's like, no, I need to know how to get my children to keep me from driving uh, me crazy so that we can all still be alive and not have killed each other (laughs) at the end of this uh, lockdown. And and that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm predicting that what you're seeing in the data of the uptick in diet and health is going to become a big spike, As people try to put their clothes back on to go back to work and realize they don't fit quite as well as they thought they did. And suddenly uh, diet and exercise are going to be hot topics. That's what I'm suspecting anyway. We'll have to watch the data as it comes in to see uh, what happens. Right, right, right. So real quick, let's go over some of the top genres and and, and talk about whether they're up uh, or down. So children's, uh, we've already kind of talked a little bit about that, but I want to talk specifically about children's ebooks cuz historically, children's ebooks, well they've been growing kind of sort of they were never a very big category, right? Parents preferred to read books in physical form, even though their children tear up those books uh, or pee on those books. Uh, peeing on a potty book is a thing I didn't realize uh, is a thing that could happen <laughs> until I became a parent uh, and your children take things very literally. Um, so, But what have you seen in the ebook sales for children's?
1: Well, two effects basically happened. One was the sheer volume of books. The other is though the format of books. So what we saw happening, I, I think, was back end of... 2017 2017 um the share of ebooks in the children's book top 100 was basically seven percent you know so seven out of 100 books were in the top 100 were ebooks now what one has to look at is that there was already a bit of a trend towards more acceptability of children of ebooks as a formants for children, so if we look at the data just before Christmas, that grew to fifteen percent, which is not huge right but um at least acceptability of ebooks for kids were on the
0: rise. I mean especially 15% ebooks that is when you compare that to any other genre that's tiny right cuz with romance it's what 80% of books
1: in the top 100 are ebooks it's even 93% in romance it's yeah. like 78% so you're usually in the big genres right now you're talking about you know 70% plus ebook penetration in the top 100 but then, what happened mid April? That's when the data is from. And when we did see that tenfold. So, earlier we talked about interest for uh, the, the search interest on Google for ebooks in general was doubling. Well, the, the search interest for kids' ebooks was going tenfold in the wow. same period of time. A factor of 10. That's 1000% increase. Thousand <laughs> percent increase. So what we did see here in the data was a rise, and we just published our children's ebook special report, where we saw that the share of ebooks in the in the overall Amazon books top one hundred um, for children's books, the form ebook format was uh, basically doubling to thirty percent. So wow. now it's almost a third of the top of the market, which makes make makes the most. And um, yeah, so. It's one of the big winners as children's books, basically from my to, to my mind from two perspectives. One was the sheer volume, so people started buying, you know, how to teach my kid to write. Um, uh, then, you know, books to read. Even the the most striking was my childhood book, the the very hungry caterpillar, I think it's called, right? Which mm-hmm. was which my parents uh, basically read to me when I was a kid. Was suddenly last week in the top. Amazon Store Top 100. Wow. And, and uh, I think th- that is telling. So we had c- children's books in general suddenly hit number one store wide uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, actually. And in eBooks, we saw uh, basically a surge, a huge surge ac- across the board.
0: And what will be interesting to observe is uh, what this impact will be long term. So now that parents have started reading books to their children with ebooks and realize that they can save money and they have the devices, will they continue buying ebooks rather than paper books? or will once Barnes and Noble opens back up, will they shift back to buying paper books? And there's really no way to know for sure, but my, I suspect um, that we're going to see the, those numbers continue to hold, where once people have shifted over to ebooks, they're not going to shift. Back, what, what do you think? And I realize we're kind of guessing about the future here.
1: Ah, but you know, there the, the are experiences from the past and, and you, there are certain experiences al- already in the data. So f- first thing is there was already once, like six years ago, there was a children's eBooks hype, right? And that hype was, in, was basically a supply-driven hype because it was not demand driven it was supply driven because amazon had the kindle device it launched it had the kindle fire devices they needed a market for it so they marketed it to parents and they to authors they launched back then the amazon kids book creator which it was called which was a very lousy uh desktop application to format children's ebooks right so that created a first wave but that died off and you you continue to have children's ebooks as basically a very seasonal merchandise where you always would get a peak at Christmas and one at Easter and what happened already last year even before corona is that after Easter where usually the ebook sales took a huge dive again it didn't fall off that sharply. And part of it was in, induced by many of the, you know, the um, the Disney's of the world, like the big kids book publishers suddenly also do advertising for eBooks. And that was the first thing that helped. Now you have the lockdowns. Now you have these devices, increase in device sales, increase in uh, Prime and KU subscriptions. I think some things will happen the crisis has brought the device use closer to the parents which usually used to say ah, i'm not a, I'm not going to put my 2 year old kid in front of an ipad you know it's not good for the kid let's stick with the let's stick with a print book some of that will obviously come back but basically what i'm saying is I think some of the change may be a little bit more sticky than it used to be during that first hype, because this time it was demand-driven, not so much supply-driven. It's
0: It's the actual behavior that's driving the change of of the parents. and you know your principles on screen time tend to go out the window when you have a really important conference call and you really need your kids to be quiet yes <laughs> so yes, you are like give exactly. me your give me your give me your device I'll turn off the parental lock and you can you can read your children's books or, or what have you just leave me alone for the next hour please i actually rigged up a uh, smart light so that when i'm recording i can turn on that light and everyone in the house uh, can see that i'm recording and they know to be quiet and I just have to remember to turn it on. But uh, a lot of uh, houses are trying to find ways of accommodating noisy children. So let's um, very quickly hit some of the other uh, genres, because there are other books that have had impact other than children's. Uh, so romance has romance been up or down uh, since the pandemic hit?
1: Well, out of all the thirty main genres on on Kindle romance was the biggest loser in the month of april now before you know everybody says oh my god it basically said it, it saw the biggest loss and and i found it a little bit counterintuitive at first because you'd think hey romance books isn't that a nice escapism and da, da, da. but you know if all of a sudden your husband and kid is at home and and whatever you know uh, everybody is sitting at home, you, you cannot sit, you know, at home and comfortably read your, um your Highlander romance novel, you know, when your husband is sitting next to you on the sofa, I don't know, I'm hypothesizing here, the data says romance lost. But does that mean romance is no longer the number one selling genre on Kindle? No, it still is. So basically, from the biggest selling genres, which always the sequence was romance, then mystery, thriller, suspense, then sci-fi, then nonfiction, then teen, young, adult, romance is still number one, but it lost. Mystery, thriller, suspense is still number two, but it lost relative to the months before. Children's ebooks, which used to be like number seven or six consistently, shot up to be the number Three bestseller list, then you have nonfiction. Sci fi took a little bit of a drop against uh nonfiction. these so sci-fi did suffer also a little bit, and um, and the other search that we did see more actually over the last month was teen young adult novels that uh that came back up. So, what I'm saying is you have to distinguish the trend and So the relative uh, percentage increase or decrease, where you had the biggest increases in children's books, craft, hobbies, and home, medical e-books, these were the biggest winners, relatively speaking. But in absolute terms, they have not overtaken those big genres. And from those big genres, romance was initially the biggest loser's. Also, mystery, thriller, suspense lost uh, lost ground versus prior months, uh, and sci-fi uh, also also did. But I think that's almost something you would initially expect. the The big good news, I think, is that teens have started to read again, and <laughs> that's that's a big good news,
0: especially the reading. Ebooks, because yeah, part of what I suspect is being replaced is those teens that were checking books out of the library. Because we know from the stats, at least in the states, teenagers are huge consumers of libraries. They're, they're at libraries a lot. There's a school library, the university library, and the public libraries. And these all of them, uh, and those are all closed. And so it. And again, we're speculating. We know the number YA is up, and we're speculating as to exactly why. And Often, anytime you see a big statistical move, there's more than one reason. So it, it's, it's true, it, it's possible for there to be multiple things that are causing the number to go up and multiple things that are causing the number to go down, but the things causing the number to go up are having a bigger impact than the things causing the number to go down. So we live in a complicated world. Uh, but I suspect one of the things impacting that TNYA boost is um, the libraries being closed.
1: Yeah, could very well be.
0: And one of the things I predicted in my prediction episode was that what will resonate with readers is going to change over time and the plots are going to have to change. And so I wonder how much, especially in the romance category, is those romance stories uh, aren't resonating like they used to and that people are looking for more of external conflict rather than internal conflict to the relationship. So if any of you have a, a romance that's primarily externally conflict-driven, shoot me an email, and I'm, I'd be curious to know how your particular sales are doing, uh, if they're up or down. Because uh, I'm curious if this uh, prediction of mine is, is a good one or a bad one. And it won't hurt my feelings if it's bad, because I want to understand the world uh, better. Uh, Alex, real quick, any other big winners or losers that uh, we haven't talked about and should have in terms of genres?
1: Perhaps the last point to note is we, we saw two types of changes happening. And there were those changes where the crisis really triggered a statistic to go into the other direction than it had before, right? So um, a good example, I mean, we talked about all these nonfiction titles, right? I mean, obviously, had there been no crisis, there wouldn't have been the increase in whatever books about respiratory illnesses. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is take things like teen, young, adult dystopian romance. If I look at the data, that was a category that back in 2015, you know, on on average, the top 20 titles would clearly rank in the top 2000 store wide. And over a period of one, two, three, four, five years almost, right, that went basically declined the whole hunger games divergent trend was basically fading and what we saw is within a very short period of time as teens had to read something to not get super bored we saw um, these type of novels pick up again so you have suddenly uh, things like hunger games being read again and the whole category shooting back up. So I wanted to say there are some things like this where the the crisis almost helped and the behavior was, I'll go back to what I always wanted to read, but never came around doing so. So you had the Harry Potter's benefiting, classics benefiting, Hunger Games benefiting, that sort of behavior um, happened. And the other thing that happened was that in some categories such as the kids book uh, category, where you basically had already a trend happening, and the the crisis was basically just an amplifier of what was already on a upward trend over a longer period of time.
0: Just like what we've seen in the economy as a whole, right? There was already a trend towards working from home, and the pandemic just accelerated that trend. And not everyone who you know, let's say you had a company and slowly more and more people were working from home at that company and now everyone's working from home. A lot of once it's over, well, some of those people are going to come back into the office, but some of those people are going to stay at home because the trend, the underlying trend was already in that direction. And so it just kind of moved things that were going to happen eventually have just, they're happening now. And that's the sort of thing that you see with pandemics. They're they they amp they're an amplifier on certain aspects of society. And and. We see that in a lot of other things like home delivery and online, you know, the move away from retail. All of these trends are being accelerated, and so we kind of got to fast forward on life a little bit. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to get deeper in these numbers, they want to look at their specific sub-sub-genre, they're wanting to know how they can tweak their stories to kind of move into categories that are hotter or not, and they they have questions about categories we haven't asked about. Or, you know, we talk about sci-fi and fantasy, but they have a question about some sub-sub-genre. Tell us a little bit about Kalytics and how people can use it to answer really specific data questions like that.
1: Yeah, for, for those of you who don't know us, we basically monitor the whole Amazon Kindle market very extensively we've done so over the last 6 years so we we have a monthly database of some 7000 jars and with all their performance data so do things go up down what happens to prices sales rank size of category it's a measure of competitiveness. So there is this big database that you can get as part of our membership. So right now you can exactly look okay, you know what's happening in my sub 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 genre or category. Um, so that is one thing you can do. And the other is what we have is our ready-made genre report. So right now, for example, we've just published a 70 page PDF plus video plus a special bonus report on children's ebooks covering 450 categories. So these are the two main pillars that our service rests on. So it's a bit like on-demand. Um, you know just if you're interested just in one genre we have ready-made reports we have many people who are really want to know what's happening across the board and that's where this big database plus the access to all the individual reports comes comes very handy and of course we'd uh, look forward to to be of
0: service to you yeah as i talked about in my prediction episode being in resonance is really important and the metaphor i used is uh, one of them is of music right and being able to hear the music around you and be in tune with that music is really important for your book. Uh, to do well and these kinds of reports and these kinds of data is a way of listening to the music It's not the only way of listening to the music but it's a really good way of listening to music you may not be able to hear otherwise right if you're curious about writing a romance book right maybe you've never written one before and you're thinking about getting into it one way to get up to speed very quickly on what's going on in the romance market is to get a Kalytics report on romance or whatever genre. And then you're, you know, because maybe you're thinking about writing a children's book, right? It's a really easy book to add to your lineup. I feel like any author can write a children's book without hurting their brand too much. It's perhaps the one genre you can dabble in without messing up your brand too much because it's obviously very different. I may be wrong on that, but I suspect I, I suspect you could get away with a children's book if you wanted to. But if you know, I'd recommend getting a report like this to know which kinds of children's books are, are really hot right now. And uh, Alex, as always, thank you so much for opening up your database of numbers. And I, I know talking about numbers on an audio podcast isn't quite as fun as doing it on a webinar but um, we really appreciate you keeping us up to date and if you want to learn more I do encourage you to go to klytics it's k-lytics.com we'll have a link to it in the show notes and alex thank you for joining us today
1: thank you very much for having been
0: here our sponsor today is the book launch blueprint and it's not too late to sign up registration ends at the end of may and now more than ever it's important for your book to have a good launch if you want it to get noticed. Let's do some quick math. Let's say you spend 1,000 hours writing your book. Some authors spend more, some authors spend less, but I feel like this is a good simple number for the math. And This is writing your book, outlining, rewriting, editing, etc. Now let's say you could have spent that time as a freelance editor making a modest $25 an hour. Yes, I know a lot of authors make more than that, uh, but let's keep uh, the numbers easy and uh, realistic cuz not all authors can make top editor dollars but most most authors can make money as an editor if they wanted to so 1000 hours times $25 an hours an hour means you've invested $25,000 into your book of your time now if you're an attorney and you make $100 an hour it's a lot more for you but let's say the alternative activity would have been editing so you've invested 25k into your book. Now, in Hollywood, it's not uncommon uh, for movies to spend as much money on promoting the movie as they spent making the movie. So if a movie costs $50 million to make, uh, the Hollywood studio would spend another $50 million on marketing. Now, with authors, it's not that way. It's a t- Most authors spend a tiny fraction of what they invest making the book on marketing the book. An author who spends $25,000 in time making the book, not to mention paying for editors, covers, typesetting and more, may only spend a thousand or two on marketing the book and then wonder why the book is not a bestseller. Well, if you want to reap a harvest of book sales, you must first sow the seeds of promotion. Sow sparingly, And you will reap sparingly. Now, you don't necessarily need to have thousands of dollars in your pocket in order to market your book. Remember, you didn't spend $25,000 out of your pocket uh, to write the book. You put in most of that Uh, in as time. And it's the same way with promoting your book. You need to be willing to invest your time into promoting the book. And that is what the Book Launch Blueprint is all about. It's about how to spend your time shrewdly, (laughs) how to spend your time in ways where it will bring you back a return on your investment. Most of the things that we talk about in the Book Launch Blueprint don't cost any money. In fact, when we make recommendations in many cases, we give you the thing we're recommending for free. So, uh, for instance, my book Table Pro is included for free. My book Progress is included uh, for free in the course. But it is going to take time. It takes time to go through the course. It takes t- money to buy the course. And ultimately, it takes time to take your plan that we help you create and the book launch blueprint. You'll have a custom book launch plan playing to your strengths and avoiding your weaknesses. Uh, But once you have that plan, it takes an investment on your part to put it into practice, and primarily an investment of time. And if you want your book to have the launch that it deserves, if you want those thousands of hours or hundreds of hours that you invested in writing the book not to be wasted on a book that no one reads, you've got to do it right. You need need to know how to do it right. And we break down exactly how to do that in the book launch blueprint. And if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you get a special bonus included for free. So patrons of Novel Marketing get my course, How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest, which is normally $250. You get that course included for free. Just become a patron before you buy the Book Launch Blueprint course. And you can find instructions on how to get your free bonus on patreon.com. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Eloise White, author of Soul Inspirations. Gain a new relationship with Jesus as you trust him to be your confident healer and life-giving friend. Eloise White, thank you so much for being a patron of the podcast, helping us stay on the air. And if you would like to become a patron of novel marketing, uh, and maybe you're planning to get the book launch blueprint, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month, and we'll have a link to do that in the show notes. And if you can't afford to become a patron but you still want to help the show, you can. Just leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, which I, where I got my first one-star review. I've been podcasting since 2007, and I've never gotten a one-star review until now. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Podchaser is where that review is. If you want to leave a counter review, uh, I would very much appreciate it. Or you can, of course, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash marketing. You know, we talk a lot about stories and fiction on this podcast. And as many of you know, I personally don't write fiction. I... Help novelists with marketing their books and promoting their books and launching their books, but I don't write fiction myself. Although recently, uh, my daughter, my 18 month old daughter, Mercy, has been finishing dinner before the rest of us. And so, to encourage her to stay in her high chair, uh, I have started telling her stories. And it's interesting because while I don't write novels, I have spent 10 years going to writers' conferences and talking with writers. And I understand a lot of the Fundamentals. Or I've come to learn many of the fundamentals of writing, and I've been putting these into practice with the most, the harshest critic in the world, which is an eighteen-month-old toddler with an eighteen-month-old attention span. And it's been really fun to see which stories are able to hold her attention and which stories do not. And the ultimate goal. I know I have accomplished my mission when at the end of the story, she goes, more, more, or what she, in her baby voice, she goes, Momo, Momo, and she puts her hands together in the baby sign language for more, where she enjoyed the story so much, she wants me to tell her more stories. And when I found work on my daughter, my very discriminating daughters, that I have to open with a clear protagonist. So I typically have Dennis the dog and Katie the cat, and they need to want something, and what they want needs to be concrete and something my daughter would want. So wanting to go play outside or wanting to eat some delicious food. And then I put a number of obstacles in their path that makes it where they're not getting the thing they want. And ultimately, at the end of the story... They get the thing they want and they are very happy. And she's very excited to hear these very simple stories. But I'm trying to use, you know, clear protagonists, clear storytelling. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun process. And I think of many of you and of the conversations I've had uh, with many of you about your stories as I'm putting together these very, very simple stories for a very young audience. But I'm competing against all of her picture books because my stories. Uh, don't have pictures. And I know I succeed when she's still in her high chair at the end of dinner. <laughs> so anyway, you have been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. and Alex Newhouse on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Uh, to find the show notes uh, for this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone, automatically visit novelmarketing.com. Thank you for listening, and may you live long and prosper.